0: Turn in your Bible, I hope you will, to Matthew chapter 17 as we continue a a series uh, over the next couple of weeks leading up to Easter uh, on the life of Christ. Now we have jumped way ahead from where we began just a few weeks ago as we come now within the last two weeks of Jesus' life on earth and we come to Matthew chapter 17. which says this. And after six days, Jesus took, well, I want to read the last statement of the previous chapter, last verse. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son. With whom I am well pleased, listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one of the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. So ends the reading of God's holy and inspired and inerrant word. Blaise Pascal was the French mathematician and physicist and inventor and philosopher who lived in the 1600s. Pascal is often quoted, but you may not have heard this. He said, people arrive at their beliefs not on the basis of proof, but on the basis of what they find attractive. People arrive at their beliefs not on the basis of proof, but on the basis of what they find attractive. We may find things attractive, we may find accomplishments attractive, we may find sensual pleasure attractive, and before we know it, we have a tendency to create a religious system that will affirm what we want to do based on how we feel and what we find attractive. If you are looking for religion just to give you affirmation rather than transformation don't follow Christ because Christianity is about transformation transforming you and me and families and cultures and entire nations and we see that here in this passage with what we call the transfiguration of Jesus last Sunday if you were with us Elliot preached uh, from the previous chapter about Peter's confession when Jesus asked his disciples who do people say that I am and ultimately Peter said you are the Christ the son of the living God and then Christ described for them what would be involved in following him well he said he was going to Jerusalem and he would be put to death and he said if you Want to follow me? Then you must deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow me. These were hard words. They were hard words then, they're hard words now. Because to understand his call to discipleship is not anything that's easy. It's costly. It may cost us our life. In fact, he went on to say that if you wish to save your life, you'll lose it. And if you wish to lose your life, you'll save it. So now we come to this after his last words there were that some are standing here who shall see the kingdom of God. And that's about to happen with these three. He chooses Peter and James and John. We're not told why. We can only speculate and guess. Uh, Perhaps they were the most ready to understand. Perhaps they would pass on what they knew. We really aren't told, so we don't know for sure. Uh, But he leads them up to a high mountain in that region. There was Mount Tabor, uh, and there was also Mount Hermon. Uh, The climb on either of those would take the better part of a day. Mount Hermon is over 9,000 feet high. And on a clear day, you can see, I'm told, it's snow-covered slopes uh, for miles all around. And so he takes them up there. And one of the reasons we will see is they needed to be encouraged. They needed some good news after what they had just heard. It had only been six days since they clearly heard Jesus say he was going to be put to death. And you know, they were still anticipating an earthly kingdom, that he was going to rule, that there may be a role for them as to who was the greatest and where would they sit in these positions of authority. And all that had been dashed six days before when he said, no, I'm going to be killed. And oh, by the way, if you want to follow me, then you're going to need to take up a cross daily. So they'd been stunned by that. They'd had the wind knocked out of them. It's spoken very strongly. So he leads them up, verse 1, tells us to a high mountain by themselves. Luke also, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell this account. Luke adds that he, he took them up to go to pray. And it also adds that they were very sleepy, and so they they doze off. Peter, James, and John doze off. They go to to sleep. Well, when they open their eyes, they are met with this sight that we just read, that he's transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. Do you know that the Bible rarely mentions color? When we have uh, Old Testament accounts, New Testament accounts, color is rarely mentioned. We know there are times that it is, but typically not. When we read the stories of of encounters with Jesus and people, it rarely mentions color. What color their clothes were, what color the the walls of the houses were, and so forth. And despite our modern illustrations, white clothes were not uh, commonly worn because they would get dirty so fast. And so here it it makes a point. All three of the gospel writers stress how white his clothes become. It's dazzling. And it's a picture of divine purity, of heavenly brilliance. What a spectacle. Bright and white as lightning. Not only that, but Matthew tells us that even his face shone like the sun. When the um, persecutor of the church named Saul encounters God on the road to Damascus where he is going to persecute Christians he is blinded by the glory of God and his encounter with God is he sees a light that was brighter than the noonday sun Thomas Watson the Puritan said we may see God's glory blazing in the sun and twinkling in the stars so from a just from a purely physical standpoint not a spiritual standpoint, but a physical standpoint. The closest thing I believe that you and I on a daily basis could do to have an idea of the glory of God as far as what it'd be like to see is to look at the sun. Of course, don't look at the sun unless you damage your weather. But the, the fact that when you even attempt to look at it, you have to look away. I'm not saying that's the glory of God. That would be the physical impact, at least, of what it would be like. When they saw Jesus on that mountain in this transfigured state, it would have been like that. You can't look because it's too bright. So he's transfigured before them, they use that term. It's a term that means a change from the inside out. It's the opposite of masquerade. With a masquerade, you put a costume on. You're the same on the inside, but you change the outside so someone can't recognize you or you appear like someone else. This is not the same. He did not put something on. This is where there was an inward change that comes out. And what it is is the glory of God. Here is God from eternity past and portraying also what will happen in the future. And he's, he's God in the flesh and in a sense... It's peeled back, and for a moment, they get to see it. They get to see his glory. Now, think of the timing. This is six days after he had given them those hard words that, if you I'm going to die, and if you wish to follow me, you'll need to take up your cross daily. And if you want to save your life, you'll lose it. Is this the picture of defeat? No, the timing of this is critical. He is encouraging them not only with God's glory from the past but what his glory is going to be in the future. Oh, and by the way, we will share in that glory. He will let them see what they will have as far as resurrected bodies and the glory that they will share in. That's the picture they are allowed to to witness on that mountain. And his glory is not simply a reflected glory. Moses was one of two men, including Elijah, who was allowed to see the back of God's glory. And He was not allowed to see the face of God, but he saw God's back. We find that in Exodus chapter 33. He's by himself on, on Mount Sinai. When he comes down, when he comes down after having seen the back of God's glory, it says, Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses. And behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Was Moses transfigured? No. He was reflecting the glory of God's back. He didn't even see God's face. He sees his back, and yet he's still reflecting that sometime later to such that the people are afraid of him. Jesus is not reflecting God's glory. He is exuding God's glory on that mountain with them Well, now appear two men from the Old Testament Elijah and Moses as they're watching verse 4 tells us that there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking to Jesus why Elijah and Moses why not David or Solomon or Jeremiah or, or someone like that or Isaiah well there's several reasons we believe Uh, Both of these men, Elijah and Moses, had conversed with God on mountaintops. Moses on Mount Sinai, Elijah on Mount Horeb. They both had been shown God's glory. Both had made famous departures from the earth. Moses died on Mount Nebo, and God buried him in a place known only to God. Elijah was taken up to heaven in a chariot of fire. Moses was the great lawgiver, and here was Jesus, the fulfillment of the law. Elijah was a great prophet. Here is Jesus, the fulfillment of the Messianic prophecies. And so Jesus is the representation of the fulfillment of all the Old Testament economy, the law and the prophecies in one. And there they are standing there. What were they discussing? Matthew doesn't mention it, but Luke says they spoke about Jesus's departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. They're talking about his death his departure from this life, about his resurrection. That's what they were discussing. So what an amazing sight, this dazzling light as Jesus is talking to Moses, who has been dead 1,400 years, to Elijah, who had been gone 900 years. If there ever was a time for silence, it's now. And yet Peter speaks up. Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. I call it a Garrison Keillor moment. Garrison Keillor says, I just start talking until I think of something to say. And Peter kind of did that. He just starts talking. Maybe he was desiring to be courteous. Maybe he wanted to capture the moment and remain at the present. I've heard all sorts of speculation as to what Peter was mentioning and why. But regardless, while he's speaking, they are enveloped by a bright cloud. What's up with the cloud? Well, that's the presence of God. All through the Old Testament. Here's just a couple of verses in Exodus 13. The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them. 1 Kings 8. And when the priest came out to the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord. The cloud shows the glory and the presence of God. And then the three disciples not only see the cloud, but they hear this voice from the cloud say, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When they hear this, verse 6 tells us they fall to the ground terrified. And then Jesus comes and says, rise and have no fear. And Elijah and Moses are gone. And then he tells them not to tell anyone about this until after he is been crucified. Have you ever met someone who had a life-defining experience, and even 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years later, they still bring it up, and they're still affected by it? Maybe it was a great experience. Maybe it was something very positive. Uh, Maybe they were very, very sick and expected to die, and and lo and behold, they lived. Maybe, Maybe it was some achievement. Maybe they met someone that really did have an impact on their life, and they never forget it. Maybe it was tragedy. Maybe it was something that turned their world upside down. And they it, it, it did become life-defining. This was a life-defining moment for Peter, James, and John. And I'm not just saying that as a guess. We know later when Peter, many years later, uh, writes his second epistle, he says in chapter 1, We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about the transfiguration. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this, Peter says. We heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And so for Peter and James and John, this was a weighty, glorious, life-defining, optimistic, hopeful moment that God allowed them to have. And the Lord used it to strengthen them and to encourage them as they bore witness to the gospel in the years ahead. Of course history tells us that Peter himself was crucified upside down that James was put to the scripture tells us James was put to death with a sword by Herod Agrippa John would be banished to the island of Patmos but they held on to this hope and glory and experience of what they saw knowing now what was before them and so when John writes his gospel of John in that first chapter He says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son. He's speaking of the transfiguration. So when you suffer in this life, think of his glory. When your commitment to Christ is costly, and other people don't even know how costly it is, think about his glory, the glory to come. When you doubt your fate, think about his glory. When you wonder what will happen after you die, and we should all think about that, of course, since we all will die, think about his glory. Think about that scene on that mountain when Christ is transfigured to give them a picture of what's ahead, not only what was behind his glory, but what was coming in the future. And as the culture darkens around us, the light of the gospel just becomes brighter some of our grandchildren with their parents live in North Carolina. And they, North Carolina just has wonderful places to hike and backpack. And so at Christmas time, I gave some of the grandsons that are uh, around 14, to 15 years old, but hitting that age where they'll be probably backpacking um, soon and uh, camping out on trails. I, I gave them some backpacking gear. And one of the items I gave them was an alcohol stove. It sounds kind of grandiose, you know, it's a little burner about like that. You can use wood, you can do different fuels, but primarily alcohol, uh, tablets or liquid alcohol. Now, since then, I've I've done all this uh, experimentation with alcohol stoves in my free time. And uh, one of the things about alcohol that makes me question whether I should have given it to them at that age is you can't see it burn in the daylight. Uh, unlike gasoline and, and other fun liquids like that that young boys like, uh, you can see those things burn in, in the sunshine. But alcohol is invisible when it's burning, uh, which makes me wonder if I gave them the right thing or not. But what's fascinating is it can be burning and you'll look at it and, and, and not see any flame at all and then you turn the lights out and oh, oh, there it is. And that, that's what makes it dangerous. You can, you can burn yourself and never even see the fire. So I was thinking about that the other night, Look, one of these alcohol stoves that I was trying out. I thought, that's the gospel. The gospel right now is light. It is light, but often we don't see it given the context. In the uh, 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 Christian culture, the pseudo-Christian culture, uh, it's, it's kind of invisible. But as the culture gets darker around us, that's going to become much, it will become much more visible. I'm not saying it's brighter. It's always been bright, just like that alcohol soap, but it's going to become more visible because of the contrast. Last of all, one of my mentors is Frank Barker. Uh, Some of you know that name. It's been years since he last preached here. He used to speak at our missions conferences and so forth. He was the founding pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, and being from Alabama, I heard him speak many times when I was growing up, and And then when I became a pastor, I was able to learn from him more and more uh, by getting together at least once a year. I remember him telling some of us, uh, some guys we were together one time, and he he said, I I was told about a uh, man in the hospital who was very, very sick and was not going to get out of the hospital. He was not going to live. He may get out of the hospital, but they was not going to to get well. And so I went by to visit him. he said, "I, I went to his room and I explained to him the gospel. Um, he knew his condition. He knew how sick he was. He had been told that had not been hidden from him. And he, uh, so Frank said, look, look, let me explain to you. The, the bad news, good news, that, that we're all sinners. We've been made in God's image, and uh, he loves us, and he wants to spend eternity to, with us. But we're sinners, and he must punish sin. And the punishment is death. And so somebody has to die. You and I are all, we sin with our thoughts, words, and deeds. And yet he sent Christ to be the substitute for our sin. And through him, through faith in him, our sins can be forgiven and we can have the hope of eternal life. And he had just finished, he had just finished going through that when another man came in, another visitor came into the hospital room. And the man was a former drinking gambling buddy of this guy, of this patient. And Frank said, he didn't know him, but he just kind of stood off to the side, and this man came in and, and was like, hey, you're going to get well, you're going to get better, and we're going to pick up where we left off, and you know, I'm going to buy the booze, and we're going to, and, and he was just going on and on, and each time the man said, I, Joe, don't you realize I'm not getting better? The man refused to acknowledge it, and he kept saying, no, 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 you're going to get better, and then we're going to pick up where we left off, and he just went on and on, and finally he left, and Frank said, The contrast was unbelievable. What we had just been talking about and what this man was talking about could not even acknowledge or speak of death. And so when the man left, Frank said, would you like to receive the gift of eternal life? And that man said, you better believe I would. And he trusted Christ that day. And Frank did his funeral. That's the contrast of the gospel. And so as we see that, we see the glory of Christ We see the glory of Christ there on that mountain, and that's our hope now, that we can think the glory of Christ's face shone like the sun, and that's what's ahead. Let's pray together. Father, you said if anyone wishes to come after you, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And in so doing, we'll save our life. We thank you that you've given us a glimpse of what's involved with that, with this transfiguration of Christ. We pray that we would follow And that you would help us to have the right perspective, not for the here and now, but but for the future. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.